You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. Hey, what's up? Before you listen, I have a quick request from you. While you're over here listening, go ahead on down, give us a rating and a review, especially if you're on Apple Music. Let us know how much you appreciate what we bring, the conversation, the dialogue. Tell us how it supports you. Give us that good five star. We appreciate you. Hello and welcome back to Pause on the Play. As always, it is amazing to see you here where you're challenged to examine your beliefs, question your predisposed notions, and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here along with my co-host India Jackson to get the dialogue going. Hey, Indy. Hey. So... Mental health is one of the causes that you can choose when you come into the community. And I'm glad that it is because I think it often shows up in ways that people don't always think about. So like we have members in there that mental health matters to them and yet they are some of the silliest people I've ever met. And it doesn't always look the same. And at the same time, I think there is this place of kind of being the facilitators in the room and we don't really always talk about what some of these causes can mean for us and I feel like mental health is a big one and so I wanted to go into a little bit of a conversation around hmm tell me if this makes sense like that thought process of sometimes there are these bags that we carry. There's a truth that we have and we don't always feel like we can be transparent with it. We don't always feel like we can talk about it. You think that's a thing? Um, It's definitely a thing. And I think sometimes it's uh, whether or not we feel like we can or whether or not we're ready to, whether or not we even have the words or the language to, to share, even if we wanted to. Um, There's a lot of different ways that can show up. I think the words and the language are a big part of it. And I'm kind of wondering if you feel like there are any places in your life that you feel like maybe now you have some words or language for that you didn't have before. Absolutely. Um, 
I, I guess what I'll say is uh, when you go into the community, you can pick a cause. Um, and when we first launched our, well, when we first moved our community, because it used to be on Facebook, mm-hmm. to Mighty Networks about a year ago, yeah, eh, give or take, um, I selected sexual violence. Uh, now, also transparency, right? This is my community too, co-founder. So I was the one that created the things that you could pick. And with member feedback, we added some additional things over time. Um, and so if you, I think there's something to be said about that, that one of the things that I identified as something that I wanted to support changes in because it is something that had very much affected my life as an individual is uh, sexual violence and being a survivor of that. Um, and so I think in selecting that cause, it also gave me the courage to actually start doing something about it um, beyond just donating money or time, but actually like starting the conversation and, you know, recognizing in that process of wanting to start the conversation that part of the reason I hadn't yet was because I still had um, healing to do. I still had trauma to process um, in order to, I think we hear healing and mental health all the time. Um, but when you've experienced what some would call big T trauma, it can actually like in a way take over your nervous system. So there were times where like I wanted to talk about something, but I didn't have words for it. Um, And also that big T was there so much that like my nervous system would override and I could literally like feel like I'd been running from a bear just in hearing somebody talk about sexual violence, not even me sharing my own experiences or what you can do to create change or anything like that. Um, And so that made me have to take a very solid look at the fact that one of the biggest side effects of the cause that I had chosen is mental health and and trauma. And that requires for many people who have been a survivor of sexual violence of some sort or assault or rape or you name it, um, is being able to get that mental health support so that they can feel like they are in a body that is theirs again. So I'm going to pause you on that because I know for a fact that the things that I have gone through, I've gone through, I've gone through gaslighting. I've experienced extreme types of narcissism. Um, it's kind of dumped on me from other people. I have had uh, emotionally abusive partners. I've experienced abuse growing up. Um, and I have Physical experienced and sexual abuse. Right. And I want you to explain a little bit of, not from a clinical standpoint, but what does it feel like when you talk about the nervous system piece? Because I grew up just knowing how certain things felt, but not knowing that some of the things that I was experiencing was jacking up my nervous system. And what it was that like, once it's up, you don't really always know how to get it down. And you just live in that space. And so for those that maybe have experienced this and can't language it, can you kind of just share what it is for you? Because I don't think that you know what that is until you do. 
Absolutely. And uh, if you haven't recognized that six minutes in, <laughs> content notes. We are going to be talking about mental health. We're going to be talking about abuse. We're going to be talking about sexual violence. We're going to be talking about trauma. And um, this is not scripted in any way. So there may be some additional things that come up that we didn't plan. So if that's not the space that you're in to receive that, meaning you have small listening ears around or things like that, that you wouldn't want to hear this kind of conversation, pause it and come back. We'll be here when you come back. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm happy to to answer that because I do think that I wish that someone had laid out what that feels like for me um, many years ago. And maybe I would have um, more quickly and easily recognized that my body was in a trauma response eh, at least 50 percent of the time at some points in my life. Um, for me and everybody's different and I am not medical disclaimer neither one of us are mental health therapists though one of us has some training in those areas this is not advice (laughs) this is my lived experience right um you got to get all those legal disclaimers out the way just saying just saying (laughs) but for me um it looked like oh I'll say that the onset of certain situations that had happened in my life, um, both some sexual violence situations as well as being in a very uh, traumatic situation of um, having a topic miscarriage and literally like having to be bought back and have emergency surgery and multiple transfusions to keep me alive. Um, Being in other types of trauma like abusive relationships as well. Um, they've all looked a little different. Um, I'll say that some of the most traumatic events for me felt like I was, they were followed by living my day to day and not really being able to recall what happened yesterday clearly and vividly. Um, it felt like in my body as if I had a cloud over my head. And many people can hear that and they think depression, like I was really sad or down in the dumps or, you know, all these things that we hear on these depression medication commercials. But it wasn't that kind of cloud over my head. I I don't know if in my own body, I felt like I was sad. Um, instead, how it showed up is, feeling like I didn't have access um, to feelings of joy, to feelings of connection, um, to being inspired consistently. And while that can sound like sadness, um, it didn't feel like sad either. It just felt kind of like this weird place in the middle where I wasn't feeling much of anything. I felt kind of numb. Um, And maybe in some ways, you know, that was worse for me as an individual because I couldn't access my feelings, which then meant I couldn't access words for my feelings, which then meant I couldn't unpack why I was feeling that way as easily. Um, I'll also say that that's like, okay, how did I feel right after an event? But over time of you know, really having complex PTSD, meaning I had multiple traumas, some happening really young. Um, 
that cloud never fully felt like the weight of the true cloud that it was. It felt like maybe I had like two little slightly gray clouds up there in my mind. Like that's how I justified it. When reality was, I had like an entire skyscape of clouds over my head that had been there for so long that they just felt normal. It was only the new little extra gray cloud that was like, why are you there? (laughs) See that piece. And that's where I'll give kind of my experience with that just nervous. (laughs) And my nervous system was what I'll say often. It was shot the shingles. Um, For me, I think there's multiple ways that I could describe it. But one of the big things was just the fact that I was so used to things not being good that when they were, that was worse. Mm -hmm. My norm was this is off and this has me ready to run at all times. And it is more familiar to feel like my heart wants to beat out of my chest than to feel warm and fuzzy and safe and protected. That was scary. Like, wait, what you mean I'm safe? Never safe. I don't understand what that means because in my body, I couldn't relax. And I I feel like it's so important to have this conversation because so often there's a lack of conversation around mental health for people of color, especially when, you know, you're a black woman that is trying to not continue to allow the unhealed trauma that you received from others that was passed down to you to continue to perpetuate itself generationally. Absolutely. And uh, there's a few things that you said there that stood out to me. Um, I will say that while I didn't necessarily have the feeling of like good things, feeling unsafe or triggering me necessarily, what I did very vividly have was in my nervous system. um, And again, we are not therapists, but I recommend you looking into polyvagal therapy. polyvagal theory Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) and there's a ladder associated with that and at the bottom of the ladder you are in nervous system shutdown you've got nothing as erica says you are shot to shingles i had never felt that way despite the many different types and in ways that i had experienced trauma in my life um that didn't come up as much what came up for me was more so being in the middle of the ladder all the time that I never even knew that I was there. And in the middle of this ladder is what we call the, I I forget the official term for it, but for me, it felt like anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know that I had the bodily symptoms of anxiety, not so much the mental symptoms or the ruminating and things like that that can come with that, but my body was in a state of anxiety all the time. And it showed up in so many ways. Um, my muscles not being able to relax, um, my body being in a state where my heart rate and my breathing almost never matched. And so then when you look at the fact that for a good part of my, um, in the last 10 years, you know, I was very active. Um, I was doing tough mutters. I was doing bodybuilding competitions. I was training my body in a very hard way that gets your heart rate up too. Well, I would get into these situations that already rev me up when I'm already revved up. And then my body just started to respond to that over time in a negative way because 
it's like, hey, we're tense and we're flexing muscles all the time. We're posing, you know, for these competitions all the time and learning how to flex every muscle so you can get judged great um, on these competitions. And then that's a beautiful thing if that's what you're doing. Um, It's great for your body to work out and to get your heart rate up. But part of being a high-performing athlete or high-performing business owner, which I'm both, is we have to have moments where our body can actually rest and recover. We don't build muscle. We don't create the business we desire to have constantly being in the nervous system overwhelm of being stimulated all the time. We need to be able to bring ourselves back down and rest. And when it comes to being an athlete, that's precisely where the muscle is built is not in the gym. You're breaking it down in the gym. You actually build it when you go and rest and refeed yourself and drink a lot of water. And my body just never was able to get into that place of rest. And so that showed up for me in ways that, you know, I never realized was completely connected to trauma. Um, I knew that I had the feeling in my body of stage fright. I never really, like from a mental standpoint, was afraid of getting on a stage or afraid of being interviewed on a podcast or afraid of being on an IG Live or insert business task here. Um, But my nervous system was so much in a state of stress and anxiety and overwhelm and trauma that when it came time to do anything that required any little bit of risk where a little jolt of adrenaline is actually good because it keeps you on your toes and alert of what's going on and quick to respond. For me, that put me into complete overload. And so I would have these moments where, Erica, you know, because you've, you've talked to me both as friend and as from your coaching background about it, where I'm being interviewed about something so basic and not scary and I talk about all the time. And in my mind, I'm like, that was the worst interview ever because I completely left my body in order to complete it. So this is where I want to acknowledge that like what you felt, it's not, it's not something that usually in the moment, you know that it's happening. It just is. And, you know, I've, you know, you've gone through some things recently and I've literally watched you say, yeah, I'm fine. And then somebody can just be like, hey, and it's like, nope, floodgates open. I'm not fine. I can't do this. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm honest and I'm willing to be transparent here. Um, I lost my mother, you know, uh, she was in hospice and, um, you know, within a, a week of being in hospice, I believe a week and a half, she passed, um, And she's only 62, like she's still young uh, or was young. I'm still processing that because it was recent. Um, But yeah, when you're in that moment, it's like, oh, I've got this. You know, I've I've cried all my tears or I've done what I needed to do. (laughs) That does not mean that you've processed trauma. It does not. No. And the reason why I feel like that's important is because when you are the person that holds it and will push through and all of a sudden it's like wait no no you're not going to push through this you know uh, it there's no warning for when that'll happen and I'm curious to know if, if you agree with this but I tend to think 
that before I knew as much as I do, which is where uh, full transparency, I'm a little bit of a therapist nightmare because I know too much. (laughs) Um, And not because I think I'm the therapist, but because if it wasn't for me knowing as much as I do, I don't know if I would be as whole as I am. Um, And a lot of people walk in not knowing that. But I almost think that the more you know, the more likely it is that you can't hold it like you used to because now you know that that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll say that a lot like you. Uh, For me, it's not necessarily because of what I do, but I just am that rabbit hole person. Give me a challenge, give me a question, and my brain wants to go down the rabbit hole and find all the answers and all the ways to do the thing (laughs) or all the ways to be the thing. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where if you are the person in it, you don't always see that clearly. And I will say firsthand that the more that I learned about polyvagal theory and read the body keeps the score, um, in some ways, you know, educating myself on these things dramatically changed my life and allowed me to um, feel more prepared to leave an abusive marriage, feel more prepared to seek out support and actually find support in a way that was going to feel good for me, not just traditional talk therapy, but actually like scientifically backed ways of processing trauma and healing trauma. Um, But at the same time, it also, it opened the floodgates of yeah, I can't ignore this just being, you know, this thing happened. Like, no, this was really traumatic and I need to process it. And I can't push through everything. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. And I, Lord knows I have pushed through things that I should not have pushed through. So I understand that completely. And watching you in that moment um, of just like, no, it's okay to stop and still seeing that resistance to being still and being able to feel your feelings. Um, and just knowing that, you know, it, it, it kind of felt like, you know, enough, like, <laughs> can I not have right. some things for a little bit, please? And like, my mind was like, I've got this. And my body was like, nope. Nope. Uh, this is where my little inside joke comes in. I start singing like a 90s R&B singer. No, 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 no. You know which artist I thought we was going to bring. I'm like, no, we're not, we not going to bring him into this conversation. <laughs> no. He is not welcome here. No. Um, <laughs> and so there, there is this place of knowing that you want to do things differently, but yet also understanding that part of doing things differently when it comes to mental health, particularly when you weren't given it, is it, it, it can feel very painful because you can't hide from it. You can't work it away. You can't, you know, you can't utilize these fake, you know, coping mechanisms. Let me spend money. Let me, you know, drink it away. Let me get high, whatever that is, to try to hide it that people will do to not process so when and you, let you be somebody who doesn't drink and doesn't right. like spend all their money away and hate shopping and like you have less places to hide. <laughs> yep. It's like I have nothing Henry's. to go do. Right. And so there's this place of trying to figure out 
what do you do when you're, here's a question that I have, when you are trying to process things and you want to do things differently, and yet at the same time, you're afraid of truly being visible and vulnerable because you know that there are people that could benefit from it. And yet at the same time, it's scary to wear your wounds on the outside to the world. Well, I mean, I can't speak for anybody but myself. Um, And what I would advise to my clients and our clients together, and that's always going to start with, you know, if your wounds are gaping and bleeding, you need to like bandage yourself up and put some alcohol on them. It's going to sting, but we need to make sure we don't get infected or bleed out before we decide to share anything. (laughs) And um, I know that people say that all the time, but it is so true. There have been times where, you know, Erica, you're being honest. I try to push through things and I'm like, I got this and I need to lead by example for my people. But reality is, if my wound is still gaping and bleeding and I haven't processed what I needed to do for that, um, there have been times where we've actually, uh, as a matter of fact, Want Your Fires podcast episode that had Brittany done um, where we talked about Safe House Project and the on-watch training um, to prevent human trafficking of children, child sex trafficking. I mean... I want to say like about 20 minutes in that episode, she started talking about um, a grandma selling a child or something. I was like, we were still recording. I had to meet myself and get it together because I started crying. Like That one was rough. I remember that. And I was just like, oh, God, no. Right. And so I'm just going to say that like you can't push your way through these things. And also know that like, it's okay to ask for support and do your research about what kind of support you want. For me personally, my support, I did a lot of research on and I read quite a few books and I had worked with a couple of therapists that were doing more of traditional like cognitive behavioral therapy or talk therapy as many people call it um, earlier in my mental health journey. And I realized that while that was helpful and it served its purposes, um, it didn't fix how I felt in my body. And it's not that I felt like I needed to be fixed, but I didn't want to walk around every day feeling like my body never really allowed me to fully be in relaxation unless, um, I was actively doing some kind of meditation or something. Um, I wanted to feel like I had my body back. And so Cognitive behavioral therapy wasn't going to cut it anymore for me. I wanted to experiment with some different things. And if you're listening and you're recognizing some of the the symptoms that I'm saying of like my adrenaline being high a lot, um, my feeling like uh, interviews or things like that could give me like (laughs) nervous sweats. You know, these are not things we attach to anxiety. Most people will attach it to um, a lot of fear-based thoughts and rumination and stuff like that. But for me, it showed up in these ways. And if you can relate to that or any other thing that goes along with symptoms of anxiety, depression, or any other mental health concern or any traumas that you've had in the past, give yourself permission to experiment. While I don't think it's always the best thing to hop from like therapist to therapist, I don't recommend that. And that's not something I've done. 
Um, I do think that certain modalities and treatments or processes or whatever that people use um, are okay to try different things and, and see what actually works for you. Um, while cognitive behavioral therapy did not work as well for me, um, I did find that experimenting with biofeedback was incredibly insightful for me. But I think in a very like scientific-y kind of way, being somebody who was a science major specifically in um, health and had taken, you know, anatomy and physiology and micro and a lot of things like that. So being able to do biofeedback where they are literally hooking you up in a, um, a medical setting to um, something that measures your heart rate and how much your body is sweating and how tense your muscles are, like how much your nerves are firing off in your muscles, um, while they are taking you through a process of giving you <laughs> uh, stimulants to frustrate you, such as like really hard math problems or whatever, um, and then giving you a series of things to help calm your nervous system back down, like watching a beautiful beach scene with the sunset, you know, <laughs> allowed me to firsthand know how does my body respond to stress? Right. Like from a medical standpoint, do my muscles tense? Do I hold all my stress response in my muscles? Is it my breathing? Is it my heart rate? Once you know that, for me, it was like, okay, I have something tangible. I can run with this and I can look at what practices do I need to make be a part of my life so that when I have stress, I can pull these tools out of the tool bag and get my heart rate back down to like something more normal or sync up my heart rate to my breathing. I think... One of the things that I feel like is so important in this moment is for people to understand that <laughs> I'm going to be blunt about this. For some reason, there's this misconception, and we've talked about this a lot. People perceive you in a very specific way, and it tends to be very poised, very, very polished, very perfect and elegant and graceful, and you're <laughs> always like, who are you talking about? all the time when this comes up. And I think that even if this is the picture that people process as who and how you are, that it is important to normalize the fact that nobody is exempt from being, you know, everybody can have mental health become a theme in their life or their existence, whether it was there before, whether it's always been there, whether you thought, oh, I was good, whether you just didn't realize it. Right. And also recognizing that, like, I mean, to what you said a moment ago is you never truly know what somebody's experience is, you know, and that's their right to choose what they want to share with you. And I don't think that we need to put all of our experiences out there for the world to see, especially when we're in the middle of them. And some may be more reserved for your private community. Um, some may be more reserved for your close friends and family. Some you might feel comfortable sharing with the world. That's your choice. But 
it's never safe to assume what someone is going through through what you see. There's always many layers to someone's truth. And so while I am very grateful that people perceive me as being so graceful and poised and this uh, even in relationships, I've attracted um, men in my past that have seen me as this image of perfection to put on a pedestal. Like that's not reality. No one's perfect. And I have things that I work through just like anybody else. Um, And I think the second piece to that that I think is important to note is that if you have experienced any type of trauma um, in your life or you have experienced periods of your life where you've dealt with some mental health concerns or, or things that you need to process or want to process for that matter, that doesn't have to determine your identity. You are not your trauma. And I wish someone had sold at me that sooner because I think for many years of my life, um, given that a lot of my trauma started very young, I mean, before the age of six, um, I walked around with the subconscious idea, the seed planted in my subconscious that I was the trauma that I experienced. That I think often when you're, Uh, you're in it. Um, And sometimes even after you're not in it, it is challenging to extract yourself from what you experienced and to not quantify yourself as what you went through or somehow, you know, the problem in that situation or damaged after being in that situation. And it is a constant journey and evolution to reframe the way that you think about that situation for yourself to be able to calm your nervous system to move forward, but also how you process yourself and how you want to navigate the way that you present to the world because how other people process you is on them. But before you can even be, you know, concerned in any way, shape or form with how you want to be perceived by others, there has to be that space of working on how you want to be perceived by you. I agree completely. Um, And I think I'll say it again. I experienced trauma, but trauma is not who I am. You know, I have experienced sexual violence and being a sexual violence survivor is a part of my identity, but it is not who I am. And that's so important to let that sink in because I know that many people listening have also experienced some things in their life and that doesn't have to determine who you are going forward. You get to decide who you want to be. And I'll I'll never forget, um, I think, one of my turning points uh, because it's always one thing to like do your healing work with your licensed professional. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's another to begin to share your findings or share the experiences of that healing work with others, um, especially those that are closest to you. And for me, that looked like a, a turning point in particular was having the conversation um, with my partner about uh, a situation that we had together where I had like a trauma response to something that they did. And what they did was actually like not harmful at all. It was like super normal for our relationship. And I'm very grateful for what they did. But I hadn't quite realized yet for myself that part of my healing journey um, was that I was having experiences for the first time 
after I had just processed similar experiences that were very traumatic through EMDR or eye movement desensitization. I believe so. <laughs> uh, EMD. Yeah. That, Whatever. That EMDR. That, that stuff. EMDR. A specific treatment um, that is mentioned in the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is a part of our our um, community discussions in our book club. But um, it's a specific treatment that is used to treat the physical and psychological effects of trauma. Um, specifically, it's very effective for people who have been refugees or have experienced complex post-traumatic disorder. And so I had just processed something literally within 24 hours in my EMDR session. And then I had an experience with my partner um, that was similar to the thing that I processed as being like super negative and wanting to process the negative piece of that out. Um, and <laughs> having to explain to them like, oh yeah, that freak out was definitely related to trauma and I don't feel this way about you, but I had gone through this over here. And sometimes um, these things can come back up when we are in situations that we actually feel the safest in because it is safe to now reconcile that this activity or this conversation or the smell or whatever it is, is incredibly safe and build new neural pathways for experiencing these things. Um, and so that was definitely a turning point for me is <laughs> moving from what I was doing on my own, my own work with my therapist to actually seeing that come into my life and being able to have the language to have that conversation about here's what happened, here's why it happened. And literally like bawling my eyes out saying almost verbatim, you didn't do anything wrong and I'm really happy and I'm so I'm crying because I'm so happy that I can even talk to you about this. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because I know the story and I know how you were like, oh, God, I did that. <laughs> and this is happening because something happened to me a long time ago, but it's not who I am. <laughs> right. I can laugh at the situation now. But oh, my goodness, such a turning point. And I think it's part of the reason why um, I really started to revisit, and I know we talked about causes in our space in the beginning of this conversation, um, changing my cause for now into mental health, because I do think that it's a great thing that our community members can change their cause at any time as being their focused cause, because we all have multiple causes that we're passionate about supporting. And I don't think that we should have to choose just one. Unfortunately, the way that our system is set up, you can only choose just one and we can't really change the tech of that. Mm -hmm. But it gives you the freedom to distribute your efforts into multiple places throughout the year. And I definitely realized for me that the biggest side effect that I experienced through my own sexual violence is the the mental health piece of seeing myself as the violence, seeing myself as what happened to me and not completely as who I am and having what Erica, you lovingly gave words to many years ago in our friendship, which is the funhouse mirror, seeing myself in a completely different way than other people see me. Right. The, again, I don't, think it's ever easy to have to go into this because I can say what I know personally as well as what I know from us you know being as close as we are that we've talked about 
this is never easy to dig into your past and to try to uncover and to work through your traumas and to decide that mental health is a priority for you. And even, even still, we have chosen to prioritize that. And I'll say that I think it's a very valuable thing to be able to have this moment of reminding people that you are not your trauma. And then to give them this moment to maybe hear something and what they're hearing to remind them, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person that's gone through this. I'm not broken. I'm not deficient. I'm not lesser than. And I don't have to stay in this place. And honestly, I look forward to being able to have more of these almost transparent kinds of conversations because I don't think that the things that we've gone through, and I'll say we've, I feel com- comfortable in that, that we have gone through, that we're the only people. And if there's even one person that can hear themselves in it and to feel some type of, of softness toward themselves, then it had a purpose. Absolutely. I couldn't have said that better. And uh, well, um, it wasn't really the conversation that we expected to have here today when we decided to record some podcast episodes. I'm so glad that we did because, again, I I look back at when I was younger and I looked at all these people who I felt like made it, um, which for some reason people feel like we made it. Uh, Please let me know where the check is. (laughs) That's another (laughs) conversation. Right. But you know, you look up to people and you, you think that like they have, they're perfect. They, um, you know, they're not dealing with anything. And it's just, I wish that I had seen more people um, reach a certain level of status or fame or whatever that were more willing to share the truth of their experiences and normalize that. Um, and I think that there's an immense power in that, which is why I'm willing to be transparent because I would never want someone who is looking to get to a certain place in their life or in their business or whatever to feel like because something happened to them in their life or because they had this experience or because, you know, they're dealing with mental health or disability or whatever, that they can't get there, that they can't do something. It's just, it's not true. I also, in the same moment, want to recognize that being able to say that I had a therapist, that I tried biofeedback with actually not a therapist, but with a, um, a psychiatrist, a medical doctor, that I got EMDR is a privilege, mm-hmm. a privilege that I'm so grateful for the fact that I had access to and I could afford. And that's something that not everyone has and not everyone is willing to do. And as much as I can, I want to be the voice to support changing that and to create more access and to encourage more people to get the support that they need. But I'm going to be transparent and say that I want more people in general to do it. But specifically, I'm talking to you, Black people, because Mm -hmm. it is something that is so, it has so much stigma and so much negative connotation um, in our community about being able to get mental health support. And yet, honestly, if I had to look back at most of my lived experiences that were very traumatic for me. They all stem from black and brown people who had already experienced trauma, including some of my own ancestors that never got 
the mental health support that they needed to process their own trauma. And so they continued to create more trauma going forward. And I agree with that. I think that there's such a necessity for us to model to people that do look like us that having access to mental health is a right, not a privilege. And this is me speaking in the terms that I hope that it is, because I do recognize that right now it is a privilege, but it's, it's a, it's a birthright. And that, you know, trying to, to, to really break layers and layers and layers of generational trauma is not an easy thing. And yet it is so necessary. It is so incredibly necessary. And if nothing else, but to have this moment to hopefully feel witnessed and to know that you're not alone, you are not broken, you are not beyond redemption, and that you are deserving of everything good that you want and seek in this life. If, if you can just get that from this moment, I would feel good about that. Same, same. So if you were to give people one thing that they could do with all of the things that we talked about, because you gave a lot of personal narrative, you shared very vulnerably uh, some of the things that you have processed, some of the things that you're still processing through, because we process stuff enough to know that, yeah, I got through that one part, but there's always some more layers <laughs> yeah, to go through. <laughs> <laughs> like There's no done. And so with that, is there one thing that you would want to leave listeners with? Mm. I think if there were one thing that I would want you to do, it would be that if you can relate to anything that we've shared here, give yourself permission to reach out for support. If you have uh, the funds and the access or the insurance to cover your support, you know, take that approach. And if you have a little bit extra to spare, pay it forward. Um, Erica, you may know more about it than I do, but I believe that there is a nonprofit called the Loveland Foundation mm -hmm. that is dedicated to getting um, mental health access to more black and brown individuals. If right. you have the funds to support that, first, take care of yourself. And second, go donate some money so more people can get the support that they need to. Absolutely. Start by putting your oxygen mask on first and then go do that. I agree Absolutely. 100%. If you don't have the funds to support your own support, go check out their services. See where is it within the Loveland Foundation or any other nonprofit, because there are plenty out there, or any other community fund in your area where you can get that support, or if there's a therapist in your area that is willing to do um, sliding scale pricing for you. There's so many options out there. Just get started today. Absolutely. Um, I think I would also add if there were one more thing, you know, or one more resource I would point in your direction. We had an incredible guest here on the podcast named Amna Arman. Mm -hmm. And that's how you pronounce her last name, right, Erica? Yes. Okay. Just want to make sure I'm correct. And she offers 
services in the mental health space. She's actually a mental health therapist. So she's not just a coach. Um, she has mental health therapy training and all of that jazz. And she just does an incredible job of working with her clients. She identifies as being a um, Palestinian Muslim American. She's brown. She and I are actually almost the same skin tone. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she works with individuals of all different backgrounds. But I say her specifically because I think so many times if you are listening and you identify as being non-white or being brown of some type, many times the things that we're having to go into talking with our therapist about have some nuances, some cultural nuances that you may want to work with someone who looks like you to be able to work through these things. And if that's the case, if that's a place that you feel more safe, especially if the things that are coming up for you are racial trauma, she's a great option. She's a great option to reach out to, check her out, look at her website, and get the conversation going to see um, if you're a good fit for each other. We have some incredible therapists around us, and I'm so grateful to see so many different people from different gender identities and racial backgrounds and you name it, offering services in the mental health space. And I'll say that I feel incredibly lucky that many of those types of individuals are in our community, pause on the play, and they still show up <laughs> in such an honest and transparent and vulnerable way with fellow community members and really spark a lot of conversations that get you thinking about healing. I agree. And I think that what you said is important because it, it is so important to have people around you that remind you that it's possible to be whole no matter where you are in that journey. And for every one of those people to show up as their authentic selves, as their whole selves, and they remind us that it's safe to do so as well even in those moments that it feels anything but safe to do so. I'm extremely grateful for that. Extremely grateful for that. Could you hear that? No. <laughs> it's funny. Um, as soon as you started saying that, uh, my alarm went off and it's uh, Bob Marley. Don't oh. worry. See? About a thing. <laughs> there, there we go. See? Look at that. Look at that. I couldn't ask for better. Bob Marley has just sang us on out the episode. There we go. <laughs> so for everyone that has taken the time to li listen today, for witnessing us and allowing yourself to be witness, we appreciate you. And until the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take 
and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?